You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I am interviewing local artist and illustrator Sharla Penningill today. Welcome. Hi. Nice to have you. Good to have nice you. To be here. <laughs> I know it's it's funny finally meeting you. We've been friends on Instagram for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually came across your art years ago on Etsy. Um, and at the time I had Alan Drummond as a professor at SCAD, and um, he mentioned you too. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with her work. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. What a small world. I love that. <laughs> um, oh, I'll start by reading a little blurb from your website. You are a published illustrator, surface designer, and illustration professor. You have 14 years of industry experience designing for print and pattern. Um, And one interesting thing I saw um, on another interview you've given, you said that you started thinking of art as a career in high school. Can you talk a little bit about how you, and and then, you know, so you came from Morristown, Tennessee to come to SCAD. I'm always really curious when people just like get the bug and art as a career that early in life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, for sure. I started drawing as soon as I could hold a pencil. I feel like a lot of us creatives say that, but um, my family encouraged it and it was something that I just did, you know, and draw things for classmates and in art competitions and use it to entertain myself. But when I got to high school, I had a couple of art teachers that were like, you know, you could become a graphic designer or um, one of my art teachers, Carol Rouse at East High School in Morristown, Tennessee, uh, worked as a graphic designer in Atlanta for a portion of her career. So that kind of opened my eyes to that path. And um, I got a course catalog for SCAD in the mail when I was a senior in high school. I was kind of thinking about going to state school and studying art. And uh, that was kind of the first time that I was made aware of art school as a, a path forward and uh, something, a college that was targeted to a creative career. So I looked through the course catalog, landed on illustration. I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And um, it was accepted and I got some scholarships and, and went. So I was the first person in my family to really go away to college uh, wow. and a first generation college student. So, yeah. That must be interesting in your family as the first person to go up to college. And then it's such a non-traditional college environment, you know, to go up to art school just is kind of foreign sounding for most people in general. Yeah, there was some skepticism, skepticism around it, but um, but overall people were encouraging. My parents were encouraging. What did you think of Savannah when you first arrived here? Now, it's funny you ask. Uh, to me, it was a big city. Coming from Morristown, it, it felt like the big city. And I had a drawing professor at Foundations at SCAD, and he was like, you know, this this is a bigger, this is a small town. You have to, um, you know, be cautious because people remember each other and they they know who's who. And I just thought that was uh, ridiculous because it seemed like a, a big city to me. But now, having spent time in Atlanta and coming back, I'm like, yeah, he was right. <laughs> uh did you live in the dorms when you first got here I did yeah it was in Dyson house um which that's now where the hive and the other dorms are located but yeah I had that experience and was in the dorms what year was it that you first arrived here 2004 2004 okay do you remember much about how downtown felt like what there was to do and art opportunities and things like that oh yeah yeah, it's amazing how much it's changed over the years. Even Broughton Street has changed so much just in terms of, of what's there and, and how much more arts focused things are. You know, we have so many cool boutiques and places like Paris Market on Broughton that are, are very art focused and just um, geared toward creatives, whether it people that are whether it's someone that's interested in interior design or um, you know, a traditional uh, take on the arts. 
I saw there was another article you gave where you talked about how much you enjoyed life drawing when you were starting at SCAD. Can you um, talk a little bit about what it was yeah. that drew you into that? Yeah, life drawing one was required for us. I think it, it still is for um, the illustration path. Yeah. And and I just really loved that. There was, I had a professor named Douglas Malone who really focused on a, a different method of life drawing and where we would, uh, he called it the straight line technique and we would block in the figure using straight lines and then kind of pull out the curves of the form. And I, I just thought that was so interesting going from something that was more geometric to more organic. And I really enjoyed that. That really resonated with me. And as a child, I've drawn and I really just took to that really continued to do it and then once I was in the Atlanta area I would attend life drawing sessions in Marietta Marietta Coffee Museum of Art quite regularly and then I went to another place I think it was the Atlanta Artist Center it was in Buckhead uh, once or twice and it's it's just a nice way to unwind and to connect and network with other artists too. Were there um, particular drawing materials that you really enjoyed? Yeah, so it's funny when I first started as an illustration major, I was really into markers like Prismacolor markers and colored pencils. I think it was the things I had access to when I was in high school. And then I started turning my attention to things like gouache and oil, and then eventually digital media later in my time as uh, maybe an upperclassman at yeah. SCAD. I'd never used Photoshop when I was coming to SCAD, I never used digital media. They, things are really different now. I think a lot of students start with the digital, they start to procreate on an iPad or they start with Photoshop and, and traditional is a new thing for them. But for me, it was, it was things like marker and color pencil and then got into oil and gouache, watercolor, and then digital later on Photoshop and illustrator. And, um, and then my career, I worked predominantly digitally. Yeah. I think it gouache is interesting because I feel like if you hadn't gone through, I mean, the foundations classes at SCAD, I remember a lot of them required it. And if that hadn't happened, it's like you would almost never try it. It's kind of like this forgotten, weird sort of the hidden paint that people don't even think of to ever use. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned gouache because that's one medium that I think gets overshadowed a lot. But a lot of the illustrators in the 1950s, kind of mid-century era, were using gouache. And if you go to the Jepson Center in Savannah, they've got some pieces that are part of their permanent collection that were done in gouache from 1950s, 60s, that era that shows Savannah around. And those were painted in gouache. It's very archival and it's it's a great affordable medium, at least more so than oil paints and things like that. So I think it's a great one for people to use starting out. Is that so artists in the mid-century that were using it in particular? Was there like a like a were they doing it because they were responding to the limitations of some other paint at the time? Yeah, and it's it's more opaque. I think it was better for flat, broad passes of color. Even Mary Blair, if you look at artists that were working for Disney, people like Mary Blair were using gouache. And um, it's it's pretty versatile, too. You could work into it with things like color pencils to add more dimension. But it's it's a fairly versatile medium. We even see brands like Rifle Paper Company and Rifle Bond, um, who is the creative director and artist behind that brand. She works in gouache. So all those beautiful florals that we see, yeah. those are done in gouache. So it's it's sort of had a revival. And oh, I think traditional media is having a revival in general as well. Um, I think I'd read somewhere that in your sophomore year at, at school, you had a freelance job illustrating a book. Um, can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was a sophomore at SCAD and I distinctly remember I was in Muhammad Zanawi's intro class. So I was in my very first illustration class at the time. And my mom had a friend uh, named Valerie Perez and she was writing a book and it was called The Last Voyage of the Cosmic Muffin. And it was an autobiographical book about her experience uh, leading the Peace Corps and taking a boat back to the, to the U.S. from the South Pacific and legal reasons she couldn't use photos. So she had me illustrate um, some of the key images that she wanted to include in the books. And I used charcoal and ink wash 
kind of mixture of the two to do those illustrations. And that was my first time getting published. So that was pretty ex- exciting as a, a 19 year old. The book was published in 2006. And it's still out there on Amazon. How, so it, what, how, what was the publishing process like? Did- I believe it was an actual publishing house that did it. Oh. I can't recall which one, but yeah. I do have a copy of the book somewhere at home. That's cool. And you said it's still available on Amazon. So yeah, yeah. You can actually you can go find it. it on Amazon. Are you still getting royalties from it if it sells now? No, you know, it's actually just sort of a work for hire deal okay. at the time. Um, so yeah, no royalties in that case. Can you, can you explain, this is a good topic. Can you explain what work for hire means in a contract? Yeah. So work for hire is basically a flat fee and full buyout of the artwork. And then if you're getting royalties, you are getting a percentage of the sales, usually that's the wholesale rate. And that could be, you know, it depends on the market for something like publishing. It could be two to 6% on something like book illustrations. If you're licensing artwork to be used as wall art, like wall art, you might find in a TJ Maxx or home goods that could be as high as 10%. So that can be a good realty rate. And then sometimes when you get into art licensing, that's a different ball game. And that's mainly where I work now. It's letting someone rent out your artwork. So you're being paid a flat fee and then you're getting royalties on top of that. So that's always a great deal. And you can license things out into multiple markets if that's what the agreement states. Yeah. That is like the, I guess that's the illustration dream, right? Is that you're just getting money just indefinitely. What do they call it? Like passive income? Is that it? Yeah. 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 I'm a big, big proponent of passive income. I think wherever you can leverage that, it's a great idea. And print on demand sites are great for that too. Things like Spoonflower and Society6 and Redbubble. Spoonflower is the site where you upload your art and then they print it onto fabric, right? Yeah. Yeah. They do fabric and wallpaper. And I think people are the belief that it's just repeat patterns, but it's also things like price and graphics for tea towels and calendars and things of that nature too. So even if you don't know repeat patterns, those are sites that you can leverage for passive income. Did you mention when you talked about illustrating this book that she didn't have any photos, any reference photos to work from? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. She was traveling and she had a few kind of lower quality photos and for legal reasons, um, she couldn't actually have uh, photos of someone in the book. So she had me create illustrations. I took some liberties and actually used my now husband <laughs> as the model for the the other person, the other character in the book. So um, yeah. That's so interesting. Did she just have to sort of like describe to you what she was going yeah. for? You had to just yeah. conjure up entire <laughs> images? Pretty much. Yeah. That seems pretty unusual for an illustration job. So that was it's yeah. especially interesting. You did that as your first gig in, in college. Yeah, I went from that to several years later um, doing a children's book. So very different content. Oh, cool. When you were going through SCAD and the illustration program, was it when I went through it, it was like it was required that you take either book illustration or children's illustration. And there were maybe just one or two required digital art classes that we had to take. Was it like that for you, too? It was. Yeah. So I think we were there around the same time. And I was, I know that book illustration or children's book were the the options for that class. And I ended up doing book illustration thinking I wanted to do something for adults because I'd just done Cosmic Muffin. And yeah. then I ended up doing a children's book in the class. So I did a little accordion fold out book about Paris and it was a lot of fun. I had Julie Lieberman for that class and um proud to call Julie a colleague to this day um, now. Yeah. I had Julie Lieberman for that class too. And I did a book version of um, like a, an illustrated version of Bridget Jones' diary. Oh, that's really cool. I'd love <laughs> to see that sometime. I still have it. Um, what did you, so you, by the end, you were getting more into the digital art classes. Did you end up really delving into that? Once you took the first class, you just saw that that really struck something in you? 
yeah, yeah. I was, I think I was a little hesitant at first just because I hadn't worked digitally other than, you know, MS paint <laughs> as a kid. So, um, but I had a really great professor for those classes and um, took the first class. It was electronic illustration one back then. Now we call it digital illustration, but uh, that class focused on Photoshop and Curl Painter, which um, Curl Painter is one that not many people use nowadays, but it was a great one. I think it's kind of been surpassed by things like Procreate. But um, really took a liking to Photoshop and and Star Art, and then I took the optional Electronic Two class, which focused on Illustrator. And at the time, I wasn't a big fan of Illustrator. I think a lot of our students still feel that way. But um, in my career, I really delved into Illustrator, and that was something that I was expected to to learn and use. And, and then I really started to enjoy it and found it really useful after uh, it became necessary on the job. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at Photoshop and I use it every day and I'd kind of dabbled in Illustrator and it feels very foreign and difficult to learn. Do you think that people tend to just whatever your brain pathway is, you tend to just really yeah. like take to one of those or the other? Yeah. And I think for, for us as illustrators, it's ironic because the program is called Illustrator right. and that's really what it's intended for is illustration, but it is, it is vector art. And I think people are of the mindset that you have to use the pen tool. My my biggest tips would be blob brush tool. That's a, a game changer that feels a little bit more intuitive. The keyboard shortcut for that is Shift B, and it feels more like you're you're painting and working in raster art, and you're going to actually create a shape. You can erase back into it with the eraser tool, and then the pencil tool. Um, the tr- keyboard shortcut for that one is N. I always remember that because it's like number two pencil, oh. and that one is a really great one to just draw organically or edit shapes you've already created. And you can use those two tools interchangeably and never touch the pen tool. So that's what I always tell my students is to utilize those two tools at least when they're starting out in Illustrator, and then it's going to feel more like raster art. It's going to feel more intuitive, and and that's how I work. I create some of my patterns and things in Illustrator and I did my own logo and things in Illustrator. And I just, I use those tools primarily. Is the big um, benefit to using Illustrator instead of Photoshop, just that from the beginning, you're creating a file that can be scaled up as large as possible? Absolutely. It can be scaled up and down infinitely. I always do an exercise where I'll just blow up a piece of art to a comical size with my students. And I'm like, I could make this this piece of art the size of this building and we're not going to lose yeah. quality. It's a vector shape. So you don't have to worry about resolution. And in the industry, that was useful because you had artwork that would go from a greeting card to a jumbo gift bag for paper goods. I was in the greetings industry for a while. And, and that was really useful when you could scale artwork up and down for different products. Yeah. And also the printing processes with vector art, it's a little bit more conducive to a lot of the printing processes you encounter in the industry, like rotocopier printing, which is a process like screen printing. And you've got companies like Great Arrow Cards up in New England that hand screen print their greeting cards. And vector art is really conducive to that process because it's um, everything is more separated and clean. And uh, with raster art, it's a little bit more of a process to color separate the artwork. You have to work in the channels in Photoshop, but Vector definitely simplifies and streamlines that process. So for anyone that's starting out in digital art, they want to pursue a career, whether it's graphic design or surface design, I encourage everybody to, to make friends with Illustrator. You don't have okay. to be best friends with Illustrator, but just I get acquainted really with it. It's really hard to wrap your mind around the thinking of Illustrator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you think that most artists who are doing, doing digital art, do people still start out their artwork with um, traditional drawing materials or are people just like doing the entire thing on the computer, like either drawing with a Wacom tab, Wacom, Wacom tablet or whatever? 
Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. It's, um, I hear both welcome and welcome, but I've been told it's welcome. <laughs> I still say welcome personally, but uh, you know, it's a mix. I think with some of the younger students, they, they maybe started out drawing and procreate when they were eight years old. Um, or, you know, that program has been around the long, yeah, it has. And, uh, they've stuck with that. They maybe haven't used as many traditional art materials. They might've in a high school art class. And then you get some people that started with traditional digitals new and scary to them. So it really just depends on the person, but I do think we have more people starting out digitally and that's their comfort zone, which yeah. um, it's great to know digital, but I think it's important to know traditional as well, just to understand how these mediums behave. And even as a professional, you might be asked to, to create a brief using uh, traditional media. Actually uh, did some freelance work for an old friend yesterday who's still in the paper goods industry. And I was asked to use watercolor. So I created some gift wrap designs of um, pine trees using watercolor. So you never know when you're going to be asked to do traditional work as well. It's so interesting that you say that you think a lot, like maybe a lot of students jump in and are really comfortable just with the digital art. Cause I imagine like at that point in your degree, you've gone through all these foundations classes at SCAD, which are like charcoal and pencil and pastel and all the like messiest drawing materials. So it's, it seems really foreign to me to think that like, then you start in your major and you just immediately delve into computers. It feels like there would have to be a gradual shift to it, but maybe I just am like so traditionally based. So I can't even imagine <laughs> Yeah. And I think the dry materials and foundations are maybe a little more comfortable, but when they get into paint, that that can feel a little more intimidating. But um, I teach a class called Color with Intent, where we, we really try to, in addition to our materials and technique class that we offer, we try to offer them a wide variety of materials and um, increase their comfort level and just understanding how they behave and how to mix colors and achieve certain colors and and understand the textures and how things might look when they're wet versus dry. And it's really fun to see which media they kind of fall in love with um, because even the students that are more hesitant with traditional media, they, they usually find something they like. Do you, um, so just kind of like staying on this, this book project that you had as a sophomore at college, because I'm so fascinated by this. I find um, whenever like the few commission jobs I've had with clients, there's like there's always some big lesson that I've had to learn on them that it's like, you always kind of learn things the hard way about things to including your contracts and just ways to communicate with people and ways to just like, you know, you're communicating with somebody who might not be an artist and you have to talk about artistic concepts in like verbally. Do you remember any kind of like big lessons or like issues that came up when you were doing that first project project as a student? You know, she was a very easy client and um, really she just wanted imagery for this book that she could legally use. And her only feedback was that it needed to be black and white. So that was, that really kind of um, had a big influence on the materials that I used, the charcoal and ink wash. And, um, you know, the the pricing was really straightforward. I gave her a number and she was good with that. So, and in that experience, it was, it was pretty straightforward, but I have done other book illustration projects and other projects where maybe person was more well-versed in design, so they might have more feedback. Or um, And then other projects, too, again, where it was somebody who didn't have a design background, they, they weren't speaking the same terminology, so there was more back and forth. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's important to show preliminary work where you can, sketches. I did do that with Valerie, the author of um, Cosmic Muffin, showing thumbnail sketches and things, just like our process work in school, to to show what you're thinking and to make sure you're on the same page and see if they have any feedback. But she, but she was a great client. She was very straightforward. That's wonderful. Did you, um? so you finished your, your BFA at SCAD in 2008. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's so funny. So that's, that's actually the year that I finished my BFA in illustration too. Um, and oh, was, wow. I, I'd gotten another bachelor's degree in just like a traditional college before that. So when I was at SCAD, I was kind of non-traditional, like the 
the classes that I was required to take and not living on campus and things like that. But I, yeah, I guess we probably, it was a pretty small department at that time. We must have seen each other in the building at least. It's funny. It's so funny because it was a much smaller department at that time. It's really grown. We've got uh, a lot of students now that are interested in illustration, which I love. And back then, it's it's rare that you didn't know somebody. And I, I've met a couple of other people in recent years that I never crossed paths with either. So, you know, if you were taking different classes at different times, it's yeah. funny how that works out. But then when I got my first job out of school, one of my coworkers, I went to interview for the job in Atlanta. And I was I think we had a class together. I met the interview and I was like, what are the odds? Wow, that is wild. Yeah, I think because I didn't live in the dorms and, and I was just living off campus that I, I didn't meet that many people in the department. I would just show up for class and then leave again. And so I was, you know, and I was working and it felt kind of non-traditional. Um, so, yes, yeah, so you graduated magna cum laude. I'm reading for your site. That's amazing. And that you went straight into grad school. Was that to do with the, the economy was like at the time? Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew I wanted to teach eventually one day. So um, that was part of my reasoning, too. And then I was freelancing at the time, too. I was starting to get some magazine work. That's really kind of where I started out was mostly doing magazine work, spot illustrations, and um, did some work for a culinary magazine. And um, there was a magazine, a publication out of Nashville at the time called Her Nashville. It was kind of like Skirt Magazine, if you remember Skirt. I do. Doing some covers for them. Yeah. And uh, so starting to get work. So, you know, it, it kind of made sense to do that at the time and just kind of roll on through and um and then went into the industry so yeah did you so I remember at the very end of SCAD when we did like the professional practices class that we had to like send off for a packet of address mailing labels from somewhere in New York and then we had to create actual printed out postcard and get them printed from Vistaprint or whatever and then sit there and like sticker on mailing labels to art directors around the country and like send out this batch of postcards and like that's what people would be doing to put your hat out and like get jobs and that you were, I guess at the time the industry standard is maybe you do that like seasonally, like four times a year you do these postcards. And I remember I was doing this for the end of the, for the end of this class, right before graduation. And like within six months or a year, it felt like that was no longer the industry standard. <laughs> like suddenly it was going to be emails and things like that. Do you kind of have that memory as well? Definitely. That I think we experienced the shift that happened around that time. And I think the economic situation at that time might have influenced some of it. Um, you know, just things going more digital due to costs and the cost of promotional mailers and things like that. Um, but we did see that shift kind of in action as we were coming out of school. We we would do, uh, I think it was, you probably had the same class that I did. And I think it was a list that we, we would get from the David Goldman agency yes, of all the contacts. Yes. Yeah, that was the one. And, um, and then we'd go look at magazines and look at the masthead of the magazine to try to find the art directors. It was very manual, all of it. Yeah. And and then you'd get your postcards and we'd have a little ceremony where you'd go off to the the, the postage box and drop them in and wish them well and uh, hope you got some work in return. And it's, it's so interesting because now, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning this, I was just on a webinar with Chronicle Books. I'm a member of Illustrators for Hire, and we had a webinar with Chronicle uh, a few weeks ago, and they were saying how much they love getting postcards now because for the last 14, 15 years, they really haven't gotten as many postcards. So they're discovering new illustrators that way, and yeah. it's a good idea to still send out a few postcards. So I've started ordering, you know, maybe 25 postcards at a time, and I'll be really selective with who I want to send them to, you know, 25 people that I would love to work with, yeah. and I'll, I'll mail them out in addition to sending my emails and having my my contact list. that I use Airtable for my contact list. I'm always growing it and building it. Um, I've got thousands of contacts in them. And um, I really just kind of focus on the clients I really would like to work with. But I think keeping the digital contact list and emailing people in addition to sending out postcards is a good strategy yeah. now. What was that? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the program you used to organize your email? List? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's called Airtable, and it's um, there's an app that you can use for your phone, which is great when you're out in stores and you're maybe coming across brands and you want to track down the art director. You can add those to your list right then and there. And then there's the desktop version of it too, which is really useful if you're just um, curating your list and contacting people. But that's called Airtable. It's a lot like Excel, but it's okay. kind of nice. It has little reminders and different features that you can use. Do you? So you said you're getting kind of specialized. Um like maybe 25 postcards made to send to your most desired people. Are these people you've worked with before or you're like your aspirational art directors? Aspirational. It's, it's funny. You mentioned people you've worked with before. There's um, uh, one base of clients that I have one list and it's, it's people I have worked with. And then I have another one that's kind of more for two, really they're more aspirational. And then I have a list of agencies too. And that's for my students reference to just keeping track of different agencies. I've personally never worked with an agent. I like to know who's out there. I'm kind of open to the idea eventually. Um, and and um, yeah, so those are kind of my different lists that I have divided up. So people that are aspirational, that's a much longer list, but yeah, hey, shoot for the moon. So they're the ones who are getting an actual postcard for them to stick up on their yeah. board and look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the idea is it's going to be a piece of art they're going to want to display. So yeah. I like using Move for my postcards for that reason. They have a really great substrate for the postcards. They're just a really nice quality. It is pretty incredible to think about that, that for years that that was the industry standard, that just every artist was getting, you know, a hundred, hundreds of postcards made and just the, the sheer, like the amount of paper being sent out and the amount of stamps is kind of incredible. Just the, the scale of that. Yeah. I think a good, uh, maybe happy medium between the physical postcard and yeah. the email is the tear sheet. So if you create a tear sheet or even a digital postcard and you email that out as a low res JPEG or PDF, and it's it's good to put it in the body of the email just because some emails will bounce back if there is an attachment. Um, you can send that out with a, a short introductory message. And that's a great way to get work because then you're not um, spending money on postcards if, yeah. if budget's a concern. And then, you know, not printing paper if you want to be environmentally conscious and then the the tear sheet or the postcard is great because an art director can look at it, see who you are, see your headshot, and ideally if that's on your tear sheet and get a sense the, of the fact that you're a human, you exist, and they see your contact information, they see a link to your website, they see your work, they see what you do, and they can kind of make a decision then and there, or they can print that off if they want to print a copy or just save a PDF in a folder on their desktop with artists to reach out to you in the future. And then, um, and then they have it. So it, it's a great lead behind too for things like job yeah. interviews or trade shows. So a tear sheet would be like a one page PDF that has your little bio and then a smattering of your images. And like you said, possibly a headshot of you and your Exactly. Concept. Yeah. Is um that David Goldman industry, is that still around? David Goldman agency? Yeah. The, yeah. The David Goldman agency is still around. Um, i trying to think of some of the other ones that we learned about in school. Um, yeah. Morgan Gaynon and Associates. Um, uh Let's see what was another the one. There were a few up in New York, but yeah, yeah. It was so funny that David Goldman that he, they just—it's like sending off a self-addressed stamped envelope. Like it was so old school, and then they just send you back this like packet of mailing labels. I wonder if they're still doing that aspect too. <laughs> there was a funny like yeah they had selling those those mailing lists. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if they do. I'm not sure if they still sell the mailing list. But I would I would encourage everybody to to build their own contact sheet. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with purchasing a list if that helps you get a head start and get going. But I think um, you can really build a contact list of clients you really want to work with. You know, I have a few dream clients and I really try to be targeted with them in my list. And if I'm purchasing a list, there might be clients in other markets that I'm not as interested in. So I think you get the most value when you're building your own client sheet. Yeah. And I think that was great what you said about dividing it up by your aspirational people and the people you've worked with before, because it's going to be, you know, a very different message that you're crafting to each of those. So that's smart. 
Um, Definitely. Okay, well, this is, we're getting to a good halfway point. We're going to take a little station break. And everybody, again, I'm with Charlotte Pettingill, local illustrator and surface designer and illustration professor. And we will be back. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. From flappers to feathers, sequins to leathers, shabby to chic, and everything unique, WRU has the look in its Southern Speakeasy Fashion Show, Saturday, September 30th from 7 to 10 p.m. Discover the low country's most creative designers and boutiques and help support the most unique radio station. The WRUU Southern Speakeasy Fashion Show at King Oliver's Creole Jazz Bar, 514 MLK Boulevard in Savannah, Saturday, September 30th from 7 to 10 p.m. Tickets available at eventbrite.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I'm with Sharla Pettingill. Welcome back, Sharla. Hey. Um, so when we went to the break, we had been talking about, we were kind of coming to, you finished your MFA at SCAD, Magnum Culotte in illustration, and then you went back to school for an MA. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, BFA and then MA, and then uh, finished that degree in 2009. That's how um so I think while you were in SCAD you started getting some uh, like exhibition opportunities around Savannah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I did a solo show at a little place called Cafe Smooth that was on Bull Street years ago. It was a little um, smoothie shop owned by a wonderful lady named Susan Jaffe, and she was like, "Hey, why don't you show your art um, in in the shop?" And she would do little art shows and artist features from time to time. So that was a lot of fun and a little. Um, a little opening night and uh, had some original pieces that sold, which was exciting. Uh, that felt great. You know, as a student to, that people wanted to um, buy some originals and, and prints too. So that was a success. And then my graduate group, uh, the MA students I was graduating with, 
we had our solo show too, or our group show um, that was called Point of View. And that was held at, um, oh, I'm trying to remember which SCAD building it was, but we, we were on campus for that show. And that was a lot of fun too, just to come together and, and showcase our work. And we, we had postcards and some of us were um, displaying prints and things like that too. Yeah. So um, yeah. And then an undergrad also was part of a show for a class called Drawing on a Theme that was taught by Joy Flynn. And we had a show for that class too. And that was at, um, I think it was on Henry Street, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a, a space that was owned by a local church. I had Joy Flynn as well. She was so influential. She was great. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> She's great. I, I still keep in touch with Joy. She was one of my favorite teachers and so encouraging, so knowledgeable. Yeah. Really loved her. Do you remember what so the class was drawing on a theme? Do you remember what your theme was? I know it's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm glad you asked. It was one of my favorite projects that I did as a student. It was um it was kind of a mixture of drawing and collage. And the criteria for the class we had to draw in some capacity. So I went around to coffee shops and would sketch people and then I would create sort of a collage around the um, perimeter of the drawing based, you know, using found objects and things from the store that used to be in Savannah called Peddler Gems. And it was, um, they would let you fill up a bucket of like junk jewelry and it was like $5 to buy. So I was getting old photos and tintypes and pieces of jewelry and brooches and things and collaging them around the perimeter of the drawings to kind of form a story about the person in the drawing and, you know, not knowing anything about them or to at least get the viewer to form a story about them. And um, there ended up being six pieces in that collection and I built some wooden frames around them and uh, displayed them at that gallery show. And I still have the drawings. The frames got a little bulky and had to discard those after a couple of moves. So, you know, there's some damage to them, but I still have the drawings and they're still really special to me. I was going to ask you, they sound a lot, but I was hoping you still had them around. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got pictures too. I'll have to share them with you. These various shows that you had, were you working on paper at the time and then you had to frame it or what, like, what was your actual work like? Yeah, these were watercolor paper and I was, I was staining them with tea and coffee and then drawing on them with, um, I think I was using Conte pencils for those, that particular body of work. Yeah. Did you like, I mean, that process of being a gallery artist and having these physical things up to sell, like, did you think about going in that direction at all? Or what did you think? At that point in time? Yeah, definitely an undergrad. I, I took one painting class with Henry Dean, who's, who's still at SCAD. And I really like the idea of being in a gallery. It's, you feel a, a sense of pride in your work. It's fun to have it on display and see people enjoy it and see how they interact with it. And that's a process I enjoy. I haven't done as much of that in the last 15 years, but at the time I did enjoy that a lot. And um, that's something I'd be open to doing again, now that I'm in kind of more of a, an art focused community. You said, so when you, when you started uh, the MA program at SCAD, you were already, you had been imagining that you wanted to teach eventually. Were you picturing, mm-hmm. like, were you picturing have a career like what you have now, where it's like a hybrid of being a professor and having your own practice? Is that what you were shooting for? You know, I don't think it crossed my mind. Um, I think I, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to freelance. I knew I wanted to have a career in the arts, but I thought it was something I would do much later, maybe even in retirement. So I, I like that I can be as active in the industry as I am now while teaching. And I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. So, and when you graduated with your MA, you kind of, you didn't go immediately into teaching. You moved to Atlanta and you started working in the industry, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So I went um, to Atlanta. I got a job at a small kids and family marketing company and I was doing illustrations for collateral for kids meals for restaurants, fast food restaurants, primarily they call them quick service restaurants. And um, so I always tell people happy meals, but not specifically McDonald's. It was a lot of other clients out in the industry, Buffalo Wild Wings, Hard Rock Cafe, um, Sunny's Barbecue. We had a portfolio of about 15 different restaurants 
uh, at any given time. And so we were doing like the kids meal activity books and thermoform cups and things like that. So I did that for about four years. And I learned a lot about different printing processes, things like spot color versus CMYK and different substrates like a thermoform cup. We're using spot colors versus a placemat. We're using CMYK art. So there was a lot of learning about that and working with suppliers in the U.S. and in, abroad as well. And um, different licensed properties. We were licensing properties like um, Crayola and, and Hasbro and others. So, um, you know, working with a style guide and understanding how that works. It was almost sort of a graphic design illustration hybrid in that role. Yeah. You mentioned the word collateral. Can you kind of define that for people? Yeah, yeah. So um, things, marketing materials. So that could be speaker box POP. Um, so when you drive through the drive through at a fast food restaurant, the art promoting the kids meal that you see, um, that would be an example of part of the collateral. Uh, also the, the kids meal placements, activity books, crayons, mm-hmm. cups, um, paper crowns. Sometimes there are paper crowns. Like if you go to Buffalo Wild Wings and restaurants like that. So we, we did a wide range of things. Uh, sometimes there were the toys and stickers and things you would get in a kid's meal too. So um, some of those were plastic toys, kind of the chunkier things. And sometimes it was, it was something like a sticker. It's so funny, these things. It's so specific. It's things that the average person would never think about how much time and effort and people are involved in like creating the art for, you know, literally just part of the drive through picture. Yeah, yeah, it's it, there are several companies that focus on that industry and do that type of work. And that was that was just one of them. Um, so yeah, again, we're just we're surrounded by illustration every day. And, you know, if it's a pattern or a clothes or a phone case or if it's something on our t-shirt with the t-shirt I'm working today or um, something on a kid's water bottle, my, my niece is five and a half and she had a little water bottle with a repeat pattern. I'm like, there you go. We're just surrounded by it every day. Did you, so when you got that first job and it sounds like very, very technical, did they, um, and you were entry level, did they kind of, were they expecting you to come in like knowing a lot about how to do that? Or did you learn on the job? Like, what is that like your first job out of college? Yeah, I, I was worried that I would be expected to know it, but it, you really learn on the job. And school sets the foundation. You're, you're given the tools and you learn to think creatively. And then um, a lot of that industry knowledge just happens on the job. And they understand that you're coming in, um, maybe not knowing the specifics to their specific niche or industry. So a lot of it happens on the job. And, and there's a learning curve of probably six months, maybe sometimes a year, depending on how technical the job is. And um, there's the understanding that you maybe you're an illustrator versus a graphic designer, or a hybrid of both. And um, I think for illustrators, it's good to know some basic typography and to be friends with Adobe Illustrator, as I mentioned before. Uh, those are good skills to have just coming in. They're, they're going to give you a leg up. And you, I know your career now, you do, it's a lot of um, repeat pattern design. And we were in SCAD at the same time. And the only, I don't remember there being any repeat pattern teaching in the illustration department. I did take one fibers class and because I had kind of heard that there was sort of a lot of crossover possible in that. And at the end of that fibers class, we did repeat pattern design. And I remember it was in my, like my last quarter at SCAD. And I loved that so much and was like, oh, I wish I had started this earlier and learned more about surface repeat pattern design. Did you, did you learn any of that while you were in SCAD or was it all after graduation? I, it was really, most of it was after graduation. I, I did get some exposure to it. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd taken a fibers course, but um, I, I did have a class with Linda Warner where we had the option of doing a repeat pattern. We did it the old fashioned way on paper, um, with just kind of having things seam up and uh, uh, done it in watercolor. It was very large format. And in hindsight, it probably didn't repeat that well. But um, now in the program, we have different concentrations, which I love. And one of those concentrations is surface design. So the students can choose um, concept art, um, you know, publication, art for entertainment, or 
surface design. And I think students are becoming more and more aware of all of the different applications for surface design. I mean, it's it's tech, things like phone cases, it's apparel and accessories, it's wallpaper, it's it's sewing fabric. That's a huge market for surface design. Um, gift wrap and greeting cards, the, the yeah. another area I worked in before. Um, you know, it's so many different products and uh, Ruggable is one company that has hired Stan alumni. So if we think about flooring, floor coverings, whether it's a rug or it's vinyl flooring, those are all examples of surface design. It's all illustrations. So surface design is any artwork or illustration used for decorative purposes. And that encompasses a lot of things. So I think that's, that's a market that's growing a lot. And I think our, our students are starting to realize that we're helping them to see the opportunities too. So now when people go through the illustration program at SCAD, you pick one of these four tracks to go on to? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we did it. It was just illustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. It was smaller, but I, th- I think illustration is really broad now, more so than ever before. It's yeah. an exciting time to be an illustrator because you see students getting jobs in so many different areas. You know, some are going into illustration for animation where they're illustrating the assets that characters in the animated series might hold or things in the backgrounds. Uh, Florida oh. County Productions is a company in Atlanta um, that produces the show Archer. So we have some alumni working there doing that type of work and at WB in California. Um, but then we have people that are going to work for Ruggable designing patterns and illustrations for rugs. So it's really broad and it's exciting to see where the students end up and then where they find their passion too. Because we have some that are like, you know, I really want to do concept art starting out, which is any artwork for conceptual use for games and animation and um, TV shows and things like that. But then maybe they switch to surface design. They take a surface design elective and they're, what, they're like, yeah, I really love this, but maybe I'm going to do really rendered motifs and my patterns because that's kind of how I've worked as a concept artist and then there's overlap between them so I'm always like you know you don't have to fully commit you can pivot later if you want to or you can do a little bit of both I think there's a lot of overlap between surface design and publication it's so interesting you talk about this because I just my memories of when I was at SCAD which was 2005 to 2008 is at graduation like really the track you were going into was to be pitching your art to like get it published in print magazines or maybe digital magazines. It was like, like literally that was what illustration was. And it was a, you know, like a tiny, the, the major was tiny. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of people, you know, or maybe you'd be a children's book illustrator, but that seems pretty few and far between. So when I moved away for years and then I came back to Savannah and learned that illustration was one of the largest majors at SCAD. And I just remember being shocked because I was like, you know, kind of print magazines have kind of died out. How how on earth can this be a big major and a big track to go into? Because, at the, you know, like my experience of it was that it was just very limited. So it's kind of just fascinating hearing you say all these, like just how broad and how much it's touched over into like what I would think of as graphic design and it's touched over into video gaming and just all these other fields. Yeah, there's there's overlap between illustration and animation. There's overlap between illustration and film, between illustration and graphic design and advertising. Yeah. I mean, so and even when you get into fashion illustration or architectural rendering and illustration, uh, I know my husband is an architect. He's also a SCAD alumni. Um, he went through the architecture program and graduated at the same time as me. And uh, he was at a networking event recently, and there was an architecture firm there saying they hired a SCAD illustration alumni last year who's doing visualization for doing architectural drawings um, for signage at like um, historic sites and nature centers and things like that. So there are even applications like that in architecture and other industries, interior design, visualization in those areas um, where it comes in handy and product design too. When you think about toys and plush, there's a company... North of Atlanta, where a few of my coworkers 
um, in the industry had worked designing plush toys, teddy bears and things. So yeah, those are, there are just so many different applications. Um, I could go on and on about it all day. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, when you talk about it that way, I'm like, okay, it makes sense that it would be in the top five majors at SCAD. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I did kind of yeah. want to touch on in your, in your art, when I look at your website, you know, it, as the nature of being an illustrator and you've worked for all these different clients at first I was like how would I describe it would I say oh she does a lot of uh, food artwork but then it moved on and it would be like sailboats or lipsticks or animals or things like that so I wondered when you have like as many years of experience as you have in doing illustration how do you what is your like elevator pitch that you'd use to describe your art because uh like subject matter wise you you can do everything you know I, I like to listen to the keywords that art directors and outsiders use when they look at my work. And I have a little list where I, I jot down those keywords. And when I'm giving my elevator pitch, I like to kind of repeat some of them back, um, you know, relating to what people are experiencing when they're seeing the work. So for me, it's playful, joyful, uh, colorful, uh, fresh, modern. Those are some of the words that I've heard. So in my pitch, when I'm emailing art directors, I, I always keep it short and sweet, just a couple of sentences. But I'll say playful, joyful work. Or yeah. I like creating artwork that brings other people joy or makes them smile. And that's that's really what it's about because all of it for me is based on personal experiences. You know, the lipstick pattern, maybe that's my favorite lipstick. If it is a pattern of cookies, you know, I just had a really great cookie one day. So I, I try to base everything on personal experiences, find experience or I find inspiration in, um, you know, just my daily life. But then when I take a trip too, that's great. I always tell the students to find inspiration, you have to step outside of your daily routine and do something that you don't normally do. But then you can also find inspiration in your daily routine too. Do you have any, are there any subject matter or types of things that you just really enjoy drawing? You just really like depicting them the most? Yeah. Animals, food. Those are obviously some of my most common subject matter um, I love doing um, things like little terrariums. So I love terrariums. I like this idea of little enclosed worlds. So I do a lot of terrariums, um, even if if they were sort of trendy, really on trend for a little while. But I still yeah. enjoy them. Like Snow globes, things of that nature. Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Little cottage core is still a thing. And it's, and elves. <laughs> yeah, cottage core is kind of morphing into um, like a cozy cabin sort of trend, and yeah. then there's. <laughs> fairy core where it's a little bit more fantastical with fairies wow. and mushrooms and things like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny how trends just, they, they peak at something, but then they kind of evolve into something else and yeah. they stick around in that capacity. How did you, okay. So you spent a number of years in Atlanta working full-time for a job. How did you, like, how did you come back to Savannah? How did you come into being a professor? Yeah. So I was in, um, the kids and family marketing industry for about four years, then moved into the paper goods industry. I was designing gift wrap and greeting cards. I did that for about three and a half years. And then I went to work for a company called Shaw, um, just north of Atlanta, designing flooring. A, a colleague of mine had gone from paper goods to flooring. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize I could use my skill set for something like flooring. But it was it's uh, flooring gift wrapper manufactured the same way, just on a different scale. It's a process called rotogravure printing. So I went to work for Shaw, had some really awesome travel experiences, got to travel to Asia twice, traveled all around the US. And um, it was cool to design product that really people live their lives around and it impacts them in a way they don't even realize. You know, flooring is installed for 15 or 20 years and you can get really creative with it. I designed one collection or one, um, yeah, one collection at Shaw Contract. It was two visuals, a concrete visual and a terrazzo visual. And actually, design the terrazzo visual using 
Illustrator. So that was vector art that I used for that pattern. And I've got some of that material now. I'm going to install it in my kitchen. <laughs> There's oh. this gray barn board LVT I'm going to replace with a trazo. It's kind of a mid-century house. So it'll be something a little more modern. But, you know, even flooring can be illustrious and have a story. They have, as you'll contract, they have another collection that's inspired by deconstructed typography letter forms. And when you go into the Gen Library at SCAD, you'll actually see that carpet installed there. So Shaw does a great job of telling stories with their collections and making them, you know, illustrious. So I really enjoyed that. I did that for, um, a little over five and a half years, actually worked my way into a director position. And, um, you know, I was spending a lot of time commuting and I was finding that what I liked the most in my day-to-day job was when we had contact with young people that would come in that were interested in creative careers, whether they were trainees or it was customers on meal tour. And we were telling them about what we do. Sometimes we would have high schoolers or college students come in and, and kind of job shadow or do a tour. And I really loved explaining the creative process to them and seeing their eyes light up because they saw the potential and what they could do in something like flooring that maybe doesn't seem exciting, but here's how it can be creative and exciting. And, um, and I really love doing um, training sessions. I filmed some training videos and things for our employees. And, you know, I kind of went back to this idea of what I thought about in grad school that I would like to teach eventually one day. And, and I've always missed Savannah. I, I love Savannah. Um, Atlanta's a great place, a lot of cool things to do. But let's let's face it, there's a lot of commute time and things that happen happens um, when you're in a bigger city. So uh, I'm from a really small town originally. So uh, I was like, you know, slightly calmer pace would be nice and not commuting as much. And then the opportunity came about at SCAD to come back and teach. And I was like, absolutely. It, it was a big shift, but um, I, I feel it's been a really great one for me. It's been great to come back to Savannah. Uh, you know, SCAD and the students have been just wonderful. And um, yeah, I've, I've never been happier. And it's, it's nice to, to be doing freelance work and licensing work on the side as well. What year did you come back to Savannah? 2022. So it's been a year, exactly okay. a year. Did you start out as a foundations professor or did you go right into the illustration? I went, I went right into illustration. So um, I was selected because of my surface design experience in particular and yeah. offering that perspective and that experience to the students. So yeah, I started out teaching uh, introduction to illustration, color with intent and uh, historical and contemporary illustration as well. Did that feel surreal to now be just working alongside a lot of the same professors are still there? <laughs> A couple of them are, yeah. We've got uh, two that were the, at least ones that I had that are still there, and uh, so that was a little surreal. And um, it's and it's been great to be back. It's it's really wonderful to see yeah. um, the creativity of the students. It's so fun to give them a brief and to see what they come back with, and to and just to help them to give them insights from the industry, mm-hmm. things that would have helped me out at that age too if I'd known about them. Um, and then, and then also just to see the creativity. I, I think the creativity level was so impressive when we were there, but now I feel like it's even greater. It's just amazing to see what they do. I'm like, you all are ready for yeah. the industry. <laughs> what are a couple of the top lessons that you had to learn in working with, in your working with clients? Oh, when working with clients, you know, it's, it's really important to be timely and um, to stay in communication, respond quickly, and just, and just to meet your deadlines. Um, you always have to remember your clients are trying to meet a deadline too. If it's an art director, they have a deadline. That's why they're seeking you out to create art and meet a certain deadline. So you want to help them meet their deadlines as well. So um, be a good communicator, meet your deadlines. I've never missed a deadline personally, but you know, that's something to strive toward is um, under promising and over delivering is always a good idea. And, and then really, I think, again, just showing process work, showing sketches or thumbnails and uh, a visual example of where you're headed, because, you know, if someone, 
that you're working with doesn't have a creative background and that's okay, uh, they they might communicate a little differently. They might not speak the same language and use the same industry terminology that we might use. So the more clearly you can communicate, if it's visually, that's a great idea. Have you ever had the experience where you're there's a client who just can't decide and you kind of keep giving them thumbnails or sketches and they keep going back and forth and you're just doing a lot more work for something that you really should be doing? How do you kind of work your way through that? That's a great question. There's a book called The Paradox of Choice. And it's about when you show someone really kind of a client facing or customer facing situation, too many choices that can overwhelm them. But if you only show one or two choices, maybe it's not enough. So I think it's it's a matter of finding the sweet spot in terms of how many choices mm-hmm. you offer them and then applying their feedback, but then using your expertise as well. So rather than showing two options or 10 options, maybe it's a good idea to show four or five options. Okay, that's a good sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think for students who are uh, looking to go into illustration, what do you think are some really growing areas within the field? Um, surface design is a big one for sure, just because, you know, as we discussed, there's so many different applications and it doesn't always have to be a repeat pattern. It's it's anything for decorative purposes. So it could be t-shirt art like this. This is surface design. It could be something like on my bag here. I've got a, a tote bag with their, you know, there's florals and then these, this is called a placement graphic or a spot illustration. It's just a, a little illustration of birds on the bag surrounded by a repeat pattern. So um, surface design is something where you don't even necessarily have to know how to make patterns. It's great if you do. But if we think about wallpaper, if we think about upholstery for furniture, if we think about apparel, kids apparel is a huge area too. We see so much kids apparel and um, children's accessories these days, baby clothing, things of that nature. There are a lot of employers that um, create that type of work. So Carter's in Atlanta is a popular employer for Scott alumni, but then we also get a lot of mom and pop companies that are popping up and they're doing kids clothing and um, and things of that nature. And then also things like... Um, greeting cards and gift wrap. I think that there is a hunger for things that are handwritten and have a personal touch. So greeting cards have really kind of had a resurgence. And there are a lot yeah. of companies like Design House Greetings, Red Cap Cards, and um, Great Arrow up in, in New England that are doing greeting cards. These smaller companies are kind of growing and forming and starting um, paper goods. So I, I think there's always an opportunity in that. And then also one area that we're really seeing a lot of growth in is animated illustration. So as we know, these days, people are scrolling social media and their attention spans are probably shrieking. So I think whenever you can add movement to your illustrations, Hmm. it's going to get people's attention. So we actually have a required course in our curriculum now called animated illustration. So it's, it's not really necessarily learning how to animate, but it's adding movement to illustrations using Photoshop and procreate and after effects and, um, and that's something we see a lot in editorials. So now if you go to a website like NPR or Washington Post, you'll see an illustration, but it might have some movement and oh. certainly things that we see on social media. So knowing to create frame by frame, knowing how to create frame by frame animation is a useful skill. And I, that's something I think is going to continue to grow with editorial and those oh. those applications. And we, you discussed um, magazine illustration and kind of how that market has shrunk over the years. But it's really, I think a lot of those illustrations have just gone online. They're accompanying articles online. The Refinery29 is another site where you might see illustration as well as animated illustration. So that's an area of growth that I see. Um, and then almost a 3D appearance to 2D illustration. So uh, programs like Blender, that's something that people are using to create sort of dimensional um three-dimensional illustrations. So some of our students are starting to experiment with that. We're dabbling in it ourselves. And um, I'll be curious to see if that becomes part of the curriculum. But uh, 2D, 2D illustrations that appear 3D, that's another trend. So I think um, 
pay attention to the advertising and things you're seeing out in the world because you'll probably see some examples of that coming about. And I think that's something that experimenting with Blender, which is a free program that you can download, could be a good way to get some exposure to that. Yeah. How do you, how, what percentage of your day and your work is spent either like being a professor or doing your own commissioned artwork? What is your balance like? Yeah, so most of my time goes toward being a professor and you teaching in class and office hours and then any events and things like that that we're participating in, extra help sessions, field trips or study trips, things of that nature. But then on the weekends, you know, I try to devote, you know, a morning or two to sending out emails to potential clients, to creating artwork. I always try to devote at least some portion of the day, whether it's five minutes or an hour to drawing and creating new work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good balance though. I, I like that it's multifaceted and no two days are exactly alike. I did want to ask you, you had a cool feature in 2021. You were in apartment therapy. They did a blog post that was 10 day planners. I'm sure you must've gotten a lot of traffic from that. How did that come about? Did they just find you? Yeah, it was, it was really random. It's, it's interesting how that happened. I had, um, I was really active on Minted for a while and a friend of mine is as well. And um, she encouraged me to get on Minted and um, I, I had two designs that were winners. One was a jury pick and one was uh, an actual prize winner, but that jury pick was that notebook design. It was a repeat pattern I did using ink actually. And I took the ink drawings and vectorized them and did this pattern of oranges and citrus fruit is kind of an ongoing trend. It has been for a while. I guess it kind of has a lot of broad appeal. It's summery, it's fresh, it's appealing, no pen intended. And so I'd done that orange pattern and put it on a journal for one of their stationary challenges. And it was a jury pick. And, you know, it's, it's great on Minted. If you're a jury pick, you get a flat fee payout and then you get royalties on each piece that sells and then randomly I just um I I was tagged and saw that that feature was posted and it was it was planners to start your year out and it was alongside people like Rapid Paper Company and Morgan Harper Nichols and they they credited me too and listed my name not just say we found this on Minted so that was really really cool I'm a huge apartment therapy fan so I I geeked out pretty hard when I saw that that's amazing I love that (laughs) I had a similar thing I one day just a a card I had done showed up in a blog post on the Huffington Post and yeah you don't tell you ahead of time you just suddenly you're having all this yeah yeah it's really cool um let's see do you uh we're kind of coming to the end of the interview and I did want to ask do you have any um what's coming up for you any dream people you want to work with any dream projects or like products that you'd like to delve into Oh, for sure. So right now I'm excited about another fabric collection I'll have coming out with Paintbrush Studio Fabrics. I've licensed two collections with them. Uh, the first one was called Coffee Talk. It's kind of coffee and cake and sweets themed. And then I had a second collection that launched more recently called Backyard Bugs. That's all bug themed. It's inspired by being a kid catching bugs in East Tennessee, Luna moths, fireflies, oh. caterpillars, things of that nature. It's kind of um, a fun one. It's It's been a good seller for them because I think it's something yeah. a little different. It's, it's gender neutral. It could be for you know, people quilting, making baby quilts or baby clothing for uh, little boys or girls and yeah. uh, kind of broad appeal. And then the gender neutral uh, this, things like that must be just a huge market yeah. for people to be. Yeah, that's, that, right? that's another market opportunity too. just things yeah. that have broad appeal to everyone. And then um, there's another collection that I'm excited about that will launch next year that is fall cooking themed. 
Um, so that one I'm excited about and hopefully do some more collections with them. I've really come to enjoy doing stone fabric and you can find paintbrush geo fabrics at Savannah Fabric Company on Oglethorpe Square, just behind the gym oh, library and Broughton. So that they, I don't know if they, know if they carry any of those specific collections yet, but they do carry that brand. I love that. Um, I mean, that people can shop locally and find this. That's yeah, great. absolutely. And, and Sally Shake at Savannah Fabric Company is awesome. She's right, so welcoming. Well, She's got a great environment. Well, I'll definitely include these uh, these upcoming collections of your fabrics, and then this or the repeating orange themed of the journal. I'll include those photos when I post about you. That's so great. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sharla. I really appreciate it. this. Has been so interesting. All your industry terms and everything. It's a little different for people to hear about, and I'm excited for people to be like seeing your art online and just seeing representative of what we've been talking about. Great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.